All right, good to have you here this morning. And uh, let's go ahead and take our Bibles and uh, turn to the book of Ephesians here to begin with here this morning. Ephesians chapter 6, again, there in the New Testament. After the Gospels, you have several books there uh, written to different churches. And uh, we'll begin uh, by reading this morning Ephesians chapter 6. And uh, we've been looking at some thoughts on common things. Uh, we looked at some common traps. And again, I, I bring these uh, thoughts on common snares or traps because I, I believe many Christians are caught up in snares and traps. And uh, sadly, again, the, certainly uh, the lost crowd is caught up in many different snares and traps. And so, again, I'd like to just uh, bring light to these. And again, spending several weeks on this hopefully is a help to the hearer in understanding their there are traps that are set by men, which we looked at the first week, and there are also traps set of the devil. But I want to look at here something a little bit different, but along the same lines, but I want to look at common devices set by the devil. Common devices used and set by the devil. Ephesians chapter 6, let's begin there, Ephesians 6, in verse number 10, the Bible says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against rulers of the darkness of the world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Therefore, take unto you the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. Stand therefore having your loins girt about with truth having on the breastplate of righteousness, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith you shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. And for me, that utterance may be given to me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in bonds, that therein I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. I want to consider here some common devices the devil uses to entrap Christians in their mind and in their heart. And as we consider these traps here, we'll see again that it mentions these uh, devices in 2 Corinthians. We'll look at that in just a little bit. But I want you to understand that the devil has a desire to destroy. There's no one that has a greater desire to destroy than the devil. You know, there's, there's someone on the flip side, there's someone that wants to give life and life or more abundantly, and that's Jesus Christ. But on the other side, there's someone who desires to destroy. He's done a lot of destruction through the years, destroying Christians and, and certainly destroying unbelievers. And now we see this destruction revealed to us in 1 Peter chapter 5. If you turn over there with me, 1 Peter chapter 5. And I, I just want to read through again the first nine verses kind of just to keep things in context. But I want us to understand that de the devil is the great destroyer. His, 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 his desire is to destroy lives. His desire is to destroy Christians. His desire is the Christian 
service and certainly destroy Christian marriages. And his, his desire has always been to destroy. He's like a, a destru- destructive monster seeking to destroy, to devour, to kill. First Peter chapter 5, we find Paul warned concerning the devil. And we see that in Ephesians 6. And he tells us to get on the armor of God to protect ourselves from the devil. In 1 Peter chapter 5, I want to begin in verse 1. It says, The elders which are among you I exhort, whom also an elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, and also a partaker of the glory that shall be revealed. Feed the flock of God which is among you, taking the oversight thereof, not by constraint, but willingly, not a filthy lucre, but of a ready mind, neither being lords over God's heritage, but examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd shall appear, you shall receive a crown of glory that fadeth not away. Now Paul writes to the elders and tells them to be examples to the flock. And he encourages them here at the end of First Peter to be examples to the flock. But he also gives a warning here just towards the end of this, again, this, this book or this epistle. He writes here in verse number five, likewise, ye younger. So now he's talking to a, a different group or maybe the same group. But he says this, likewise, ye younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. Ye all be subject one to another and be clothed with humility. For God resists the proud and giveth grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God that you may exalt you in due time. Casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. And he says this, and it's important to catch. This is kind of where I'm trying to center the message around. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. You know, the devil has a desire to devour. And I think about how many he's devoured through time. The word devour is the Greek word katipino, which means to gulp in entirety, to swallow up. You know, if you knew the devil was that strong and he was of that much power, many would avoid the snares of the devil. They would certainly avoid the devices of the devil. And the Bible tells us back in, in our text here that we need to Put on the whole armor of God to be able to withstand in the evil day. And that goes on in verse number nine. It says, who resists steadfast? Who is he talking about? The devil who resists steadfast in the faith, knowing that of the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren in the world. As we think about this, this thought of common devices, the devil uses to devour it's, it's, it's necessary for us to lo- understand a little bit about the devil. The devil is real. The devil is alive. The devil is a destroyer and a devourer. And Jesus describes him in detail also here in John. Let's turn over there, the book of John. You know, Peter warns about the devil and Paul warns about the devil. And uh, Jesus tells us about the devil. And some people says, I don't believe in the devil. Then you don't believe the Bible. And you don't believe in Jesus. And you don't believe in God because the word of God talks about the devil and Satan. Satan would like nothing more than you not to believe in the devil. He certainly can devour you through that. 
In John chapter 8, verse 44, the Bible says, Ye are of your father the devil, the lust of your father you do. He was a murderer from the beginning, abode not in the truth, because there is no truth in him. And when he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he is a liar and the father of it. Now, Jesus, again, helps us to understand two things about Satan here. And it mentions, first of all, in verse number 44, he was a murderer from the beginning. If you want to understand something about Satan, he's a murderer. He's a killer. He's a life taker. Jesus is exactly the opposite. He's a life giver. But it says of the devil, he's a murderer. He is one who commits or has committed murder. And again, someone says that's what you think. No, that's what Jesus says of the devil. He's a murderer. And the Bible says, secondly, about him in this passage of Scripture, last part of the verse, it says, He is a liar in the father bit. If there's a lie, it comes from the devil. He's the father of lies. He is a liar, and he's the father of lies. He's a killer, he's a murderer. How does Jesus describe it? He describes them these ways. But let's turn over to John chapter 10. But he also describes the devil in a third way. Well, again, I'd like you to look at that in John chapter 10, verse number 10. He mentions, I am the door in verse number 9. Again, that's not a little door, but he's certainly the door to life and all that kind of stuff. And I, I'm not going to really preach or teach along that line. So if you want to be saved, you got to come through the door. But verse 10, it says, A thief cometh not but to steal to kill and destroy. I'm come that you might have life, that you might have it more abundantly. On one side, you have God, you have Jesus, you have Christ, you have the Word, you have the Savior on one side. On the other side, you have the devil. The devil's agenda is simple. It's to destroy. It's to sow lies. It's to murder. It's to kill. It's to steal. It's to do anything that is of a destructive neighbor. He's the chief thief. He's the chief liar. He's the chief murderer. He's the chief destroyer. And people think about different, you know, fictitious characters and they think of certain people or, or types of people or cartoon characters or superheroes. And they think about, oh, so-and-so is the destroyer. And I can name some names of some destructive destroyers that cartoons have come up with. But there is no destroyer like the devil. There's no destroyer like the devil. Turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 2. It's important that you understand the devil is a destroyer. He's a thief and he's a liar. You know, those are probably the worst characteristics one could ever have. And he has all three and he's the epitome of all three. And he's the father of lies and he's a murderer of people. And he's a, and he's, and he's a liar when it comes to a false salvation, false religion, false ideas, all these kinds of things. In 2 Corinthians chapter 2, and uh, verse number 11, and again, I'm just going to look at verse 11. Again, I could look at the context there, but there's a desire that we forgive uh, people when they uh, ask for and need restoration. And Paul writes about this, and he tells us in verse number 10, he says, To whom you forgive anything, I forgive also for I forgave anything uh, to whom I forgave it. Uh, for your sakes forgave I it in the person of Christ. And someone says, how do you forgive? Well, sometimes you have to do it in the person of Christ to be able to forgive. And, 
And then it says this in verse number 10, lest Satan should get an advantage of us, we are not ignorant of his devices. We are not ignorant of his devices. Satan has devices he used to, to kill, to, to destroy. And, uh, and he does these again in, in a certain and meticulous way and certainly in a very subtle way. Let's turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 11. As we think about the devil, we need to understand who he is. We need to understand that he is real. We need to understand that he is the, the main destroyer. He is the worst destroyer. He is a wicked destroyer. And uh, in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse number 3, it says, For I fear lest by any means, as the serpent beguiled Eve through, the, through his subtlety, so your mind should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. So we'll understand how the devil seeks to destroy. I want us to understand, first of all, and most of all, Satan, Satan seeks to destroy through the mind. Now, if he can capture this generation of young people through the mind, he can conquer many young people through their mind. Someone says, well, he's, he's, he's just able to he's able just uh, destroy maybe the simple and deceived in mind. But yet you see here in verse number three, it says, For I fear lest at any means as a serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety, so your mind should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. It goes on and says in verse number four, For if he that cometh preaches another Jesus, whom ye have not preached, or, or you receive another spirit, which you have not received, or another gospel, which you have not accepted, you might bear well with him, with it, with him. And so you can see even, I just want to point out when it comes to the devil, it mentions here he can corrupt and he can, he can uh, be very subtle. How can he do that? Even with religion, even with the words of Jesus, even with the spirit of God, even with the gospel of Jesus Christ. You know, you say where this devil attack, he, he attacks the minds. He gets people to believe things that are contrary to Christ. He gets think, people to believe things contrary to Jesus. And things contrary to the gospel. And the devil attacks with what? We see that he's a liar. He's simply a liar. And so he'll say things that aren't true, and yet people will believe them because he's a subtle liar. He deceived even the garden. Said there, you know, it's no big deal. And again, those aren't the exact way, but it's no big deal. You can, you can eat of this fruit. It's just going to open your mind. Your mind's going to be open. And things will be better. In so many words, things will be better. You know, uh, things will be better if you eat of this fruit. I know it's against God, and I know it's against the commands of God, but you'll be better off. How do you think the devil de destroys people? Through telling people the same general things today. You'll be better off not believing God. Doesn't, doesn't the devil sow that lie today? You'll be better off not being Christian. You'll be better off if you live in the world. And so he sows these seeds in people's minds. And someone says, uh, whose minds can he sow them? He can sow them in the law, some of this. Well, no, this is talking about the saved here. In verse number three, it says, so your minds should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. You know, we could be deceived 
concerning spiritual matters. We can be deceived concerning the gospel, certainly concerning Christ, certainly concerning the commands of Christ, certainly concerning the word of Christ. And so Paul warns about the devil that he can subtly deceive you. The devil can come along and give you ideas that are not of God, and you might say, well, that's of Jesus. People say, the Spirit told me. Have you ever heard like a false prophet or false teacher, the Spirit told me this? And then someone come along and says, the gospel is this? Someone comes, come along and says, Christ is this? He's not God. You know, Jehovah's Witness, he's not God. He's a God. Those are all sold to the devil. They're sold in the minds of unbelievers, but we could have things sold in our mind also that aren't true. We see this in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. I want to just mention again, I, I showed you that saints can be deceived concerning certain things as, as Eve was deceived, but also notice here in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse number 3, it says, If our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost, in whom the God of this world has blinded the minds of them that believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is in the image of God, should shine unto them. So Satan attacks what? The minds. He blinds the minds. He seeks to confuse the minds. He seeks to corrupt the minds. He can do all kinds of things. These are the ways that Satan attacks. He attacks the minds. And I, I just want to mention this, and I'm not going to have you go over there. You, everyone here, I believe, knows this. But, but the devil's able to attack the body. And I just want to mention that because some people wonder, can the devil do things to your body? Job chapter 2, verse number 7, sore boils were sent of Satan to be on Job. The devil can attack the body. Paul mentions the thorn in the flesh, the messengers of Satan to buffet him. Yes, the devil can attack the body. I think it's uh, rarer. It's certainly not something regular, but he's, he's there to attack the minds. And so let's turn back to Genesis chapter 3. As, as we consider the attacks of the devil, let's look at the devil's common attacks on the mind. Where, where does devil, the devil going to attack you in your mind? Uh, he might attack you this morning. He'll certainly attack you today, and he'll attack you tomorrow in this area. I believe he attacks you almost every day in this area. And what are the areas he attacks you in? First of all, he attacks both the Christian and non-Christian with doubt. You know, this, this kind of doubting is always of the devil. Doubting is always of the devil. I mean, I'm not saying someone says, well, I just doubt this person and, and talking in this matter about spiritual matter and I doubt that they're wrong. I'm, just, I'm not talking about that. I'm, saying, I'm talking about the doubt that says God is not true or this is not right. The word of God is not right. He did this in the garden. Look at Genesis chapter 3, verse 1. It says, The serpent is more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said... You shall not eat of every tree of the garden. And, and the woman said unto the serpent, We may not eat of the tree of the fruit of the uh, fruit of the trees of the garden, but we may sorry, we may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree of the which is in the midst of the garden, God said, You shall not eat of it, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. 
And the serpent said unto the woman, You shall not surely die, for God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, your eyes shall be open, and ye shall be as God, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw the tree was good for the food, and it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit and did eat and gave it to her husband with her. And he did eat, and the eyes of them were both open, and they, they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig tree, uh, leaves together and made themselves aver, uh, aprons. And I'm not going to go on from there, but I want to just mention here the first and, and most prominent way that the devil, again, I believe daily, and certainly for some people almost hourly, causes issues in their life is in this area of doubt. We see this in verse 1, Ye have God said. You'll doubt. I'll sometimes doubt. And someone says, where's that coming from? Doubts about God, doubts about his word, doubts about the commands of God all come from the devil. God doesn't want us to doubt. Let's turn to Luke chapter 12. You know, if he can get a Christian to doubt his salvation, you know, I know a, I know a Christian and I, I believe he was saved, but... I just want to mention about him, and I'm not going to mention him by name, but I mean, I, I believe for almost 10 years of his life, he struggled, especially in this area of, of, of salvation and doubting. And so he was reading books, and he'd get off and read in this one place about this and that and the other thing, and, and he'd go over here, and he'd, he'd, he'd uh, think about this, that, and the other thing, and he had a lot of doubts about his salvation, and and I believe he was a very sincere believer, but he doubted. And so he read, read materials by the Puritans. And I just want to mention some of the times if you read the uh, message from the Puritans, the Reformed kind of crowd, the uh, sometimes old-time uh, messages you might find, again, out there on the Internet or maybe in books or whatever at that time, he would read through these things and, and they would say things about believers and and they would say things about unbelievers and these writers who would say this and some would say that and he, it just caused him more to doubt. And finally, to get rid of his doubts, you know what he did? And you know what you need to do if you're doubting your salvation? I believe, again, the most uh, beneficial book in the Bible that will help you is 1 John. Begin to read 1 John. And when he read the Word, which the Word doesn't have any lies in it, the word doesn't have any human wisdom in it. It came to the conclusion he was truly saved. But I want to mention this. The, world, the, the devil will cause you to doubt. The devil will cause you to doubt. The devil will want you to doubt. Verse 29, Luke chapter 12, verse 29. Why, why would he want you to doubt? Because this is exactly opposite of what God would have you to do. It says, And seek, ye, seek not ye what you shall eat, what you shall drink, Neither be of a doubtful mind. I would not have us to be concerned about our food, concerned about arraignment, concerned about tomorrow, concerned about wars, concerned about the economy, concerned about all kinds of things. He would not have us to doubt. Who's causing you to doubt? Is it God that would have you to doubt? No, Jesus says here, neither be ye of doubtful mind. That's a command. Don't be of a doubtful mind. Turn to Romans chapter 14. You say, well, well, what's so bad about doubt? 
you know, a lot of people doubt. You know, we should really, in general, we should be doubters rather than believers. No, we should be believers that believe what God has said. We should believe his words. We should believe his commands. We should believe in what the Lord does say. Romans chapter 14, verse number 23 says this, And he that doubteth is damned if he eat, because he eateth not of faith. For whatsoever is not of faith is sin. What is doubt? It's sin. It's sin. Hope and faith, they are what we should be holding to, not things that are doubtful and uh, things that cause us to doubt. In fact, let's turn over here, 1 Timothy chapter 2. 1 Timothy chapter 2. I wasn't going to go here, but I, I want to go here. And uh, again, as we think about Christians and what they should be focused on, you know, there's, there's certain things that can cause us to doubt. And, and the devil, again, likes to send along a, a, a things that would cause, to, cause us to doubt. And, and certainly, again, there's many people that would, uh, again, lead us to doubt. Yet the Bible says here in 1 Timothy uh, chapter 2, verse number uh, 8, it says, I will therefore that men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands, without wrath and doubting. God would have us to be without wrath and not doubting. Doubting is not something that God would normally plant in our hearts. In fact, it's something he does not plant in our hearts. It's the devil that corrupts our mind and says, you know what? I wonder if God really exists. I wonder if these things are really true. I wonder if I'm really right. I wonder if this is the Messiah. Who put that into John the Baptist's mind in prison, whether there was a Messiah or not? Is this the Christ or da-da-da? That wasn't Jesus that put that there. It was the devil. Turn to John chapter 20. John chapter 20. Jesus encourages Thomas. And I believe he would encourage us to be of the same mind. The devil would have you to doubt, but the Lord would have you to believe. The Lord would have you to, uh, again, the devil would have you again to, to doubt God's word. God would have you to trust God's word. John chapter 20, verse number 20, the Bible says, Then said he to Thomas, Reach forth thy finger, and behold my hands, and reach hither thy hand, and thrust into my side, and be not faithless, but believing. And Thomas answered and said unto my Lord and my God. Sometimes we want to touch, we want to feel, we want to uh, seemingly get something, so to speak, for us to believe. But here we see Jesus encouraged Thomas, be not faithless, but believing. Be not faithless, but believing. I wish we were more like that. Be not faithless. Or be not, again, without faith, but believing. Again, when it comes to, again, the devil's devices, the first and, and most used device the devil seemingly uses on a regular basis is to get Christians and non-Christians to doubt. Let's turn to James chapter 1. What's another thing that the devil uses? And, and it's a popular tool the devil uses, and and again, it's a, a popular thing for people to be in this position of being double-minded. 
you know, you, you talk about people in general and, and, and you, you look at them and, and so I'm not again here to say I'm never double-minded or I'm never double-focused, but again, as you think about it again, when it comes to the devil's devices that he likes to use in our mind and against us is to cause us to be of a double mind. James uh, uh, chapter 1 and verse number 8, the Bible says a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. You know, Again, if, if the devil can get you double-minded, he can get you, again, not in a place of service, truly to God, but in a place where he causes you to live maybe a double life. You know, seemingly there are people, and people would say, well, they love God and they love the world too. Uh, so, so, so seems to love God and they love the world too. And uh, the devil would say, you know, you really can straddle that fence of both loving the Lord and you can love the world too. But can you really love the world and uh, love Jesus too? Let's turn to Matthew chapter 6. Again, we, again, we want to look at the, what the Bible says. I, it doesn't matter what the world says. It doesn't matter what the world says about family. It doesn't matter what it says about finance. It doesn't matter what they say about salvation. Doesn't matter what they say about truth, they don't know about purpose, about goals, aspirations, whatever it might be. Uh, what does the word of God say? John chapter 6 and verse number 24, the Bible says this no man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he'll hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Now, someone might argue with that. You you can do both. And maybe, again, we might think we could do both. And uh, some certainly have tried to do both. Let's turn back to Exodus chapter 32. You know, some, sometimes we get in a, in a position maybe in life where we think, you know, well, I can, I can do both. I can, I can serve God and I can serve man and I can serve money. I can serve the world. I can serve uh, the things contrary to, to God. Uh, Exodus chapter 32, someone says, can you really do this? Well, you can certainly try to do this. Christians will try to do this. All kinds of people will try to do this. We see here back in Exodus chapter 32 that Aaron tried to do this. Exodus 32, verse number 2, it says, And Aaron said to, the, said to them, those are those that were with Moses and, and Aaron there, the people of God, Again, it says, break off the golden earrings which are in your ears of your wives and your sons and your daughters and bring them unto me. And all the people break off the golden earrings which were on their ears and they brought them to Aaron and he fashioned them at, at their hand and fashioned it with a graven tool. And after that, he had made a molten calf. And he says, these be thy gods, O Israel, which brought thee up out of the land of Egypt. When Aaron saw it, he built an altar before it. And Aaron made a proclamation and said, Tomorrow is a feast to the Lord. You know, this is so confusing when you see this. It's just crazy if you think about it. Set up an idol for them to worship and then say, You know, tomorrow we're going to feast to the Lord. You know, that's kind of, it seems like sometimes a way that we can uh, get into a life where we seemingly have two masters. We have the Lord on one side and we have Golden calves on the other. Not golden calves like in the old days, you know, made out of true gold and fashion like uh, Aaron did, but these be thy gods, O Israel, that brought thee out of the land of Egypt. 
So have a feast on the Lord. Were they serving the Lord or were they in the wrong direction? Let's, let's just read on. It says that they rose up early in the morning and offered burnt offerings. They brought peace offerings. Burnt offerings and peace offerings. You can find about what they should be like and what they should be. You can find that back there, uh, <clears throat> back here earlier in Exodus and uh, uh, Numbers and Deuteronomy. And, and so they did. And the people sat down to, to eat, to drink. And they rose up to play, and the Lord said unto Moses, Go down, get thee down to the people that thou brought us out of the land of Egypt, have corrupted themselves. They have turned aside quickly out of the way which I commanded them. They have made them a molten calf, and have, sac- have worshipped it, and have sacrificed unto it, and said, These be thy gods, O Israel, which brought thee out of the land of Egypt. And the Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people. Behold, it's a stiff-necked people. And it goes on. He wants to destroy them. Were they both worshiping God and idols? No, they had turned to worshiping idols. That's how God saw it. Double-mindedness. It can, it can keep us from doing what God would have us to do. Maybe we, we see the will of God on one side and we see there's other things to do on the other side and we say, I, what should I do? We've got to choose one. Let's turn back to James chapter 4. You've got to choose one. You've got to choose a single-minded focus. I mean, I'm not saying, again, you're not going to have multi-focuses in, in life because I, uh, life is certainly at times complicated. And certainly at times, again, there are many different distractions and different things going on. There are many things that are good to do that we could do. And we have to sort out what's good to do and what the Lord would have us to do. But uh, again, when it comes to, again, uh, serving the Lord, we can't be vacillating in mind, going from one thing to another and thinking about this and then thinking about that. But, but what if? What would the Lord have us to do? James chapter 4, verse number 8, it says, Draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hearts, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, ye double-minded. Be afflicted and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to heaviness. Humble yourselves in the sight of God, and he'll lift you up. Submit yourself, therefore, to God. That's key in not being double-minded. Submit yourself, therefore, to God. Lord, what would you have me to do? If you're submitted to God, you're going to resist the devil. If you're submitted to God, you're going to do his will, not your own. And so there's this second thing, and I just want to mention here thirdly and finally and quickly Hebrews chapter 5, if you turn over there with me, there's another way in which the, the devil comes along and uh, causes, I believe, again, believers and certainly unbelievers to, to be, uh, again, troubled in mind by him. And he does this thirdly and finally through what I call dullness or apathy. Hebrews chapter 5, and uh, let's pick up there verse number 11. Hebrews chapter 5, verse number 11, it says, of whom we have many things to say, hard to be understood, seeing ye are dull of hearing. For when the time ye ought to be teachers, ye have one teach you again the, the first principles of the oracles of Christ, and are become as such as need milk and not strong meat. For everyone that is uh, uses the milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe, but Strong meat belongs to them that are full age, even to those who, by reason of use, have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. 
In verse 11, it says this, of whom, you have many, of whom we have many things to say and hard to be uttered, seeing you are dull of hearing. What's another thing the devil sends along to, again, a, a believers and unbelievers? Dullness. It's just plain dull. You know, spirituality is, I hate to use this term because I tell the children not to use this term, it's boring. In other words, God is boring. The things of God are boring. He'll distract people to get them spiritually sluggish, to be dull, to be dull spiritually. Ho-hum hearing, sleepy spiritually, almost dead. Everything they hear seems to be, oh, I've heard. You know, this is, this is just the same. You know, we, we hear the same things. We, we know the same things. That, you know, it's just ed- deadness, apathy, lethargic, laziness. The tool of the devil is just to get us spiritually lazy, spiritually dull. When it comes to hearing. Mark chapter 4, verse number 19. If you can get people not to hear, people won't get saved. If you get people not to hear, they're not going to obey. If you can get people not to hear, they're going to be distracted with the other many, many voices that are in the world. So Mark chapter 4, Jesus uh, talks about, again, the, the word being sent out. And it mentions here in verse number 18, Mark chapter 4, 18. And And these which are sown among thorns are such as hear the word and the cares of the world, the deceitfulness of riches, the lust of other things, entering in, choke the word, and it becometh unfruitful. Cares of the world, deceitfulness of riches, lust of other things, the cumbrances of life. If he can just get you thinking about just about anything but the things of God, the devil can get you off track in your mind. Turn to Luke chapter 24. You know, people heard Jesus, and as Jesus preached to them, again, there, there's people that responded to the message. There are people that certainly got saved by grace. There's certainly people that lived according to the word, and their lives were completely changed, and a tax collector became a preacher. Uh, fishermen began to do the will of God. People left their lives, they left their livelihoods to serve the Lord. Because their lives had been changed, their minds had been changed, their hearts had been lightened to the truth. But the devil can cause us to, to doubt and cause us to be distracted. He can cause us to be double-minded. He can call, cause us, I believe, to become dull in hearing. Speaking about the disciples, again, there in Luke chapter 24, in verse number 25, it says, And he said unto them, O fools and slow of heart, to believe all the prophets have spoken, not Christ, to have suffered these things and to enter into glory. And beginning at Moses and the prophets, he expounded unto them all the things concerning himself. And they drew nigh unto the village, whither they went, and they made to go a little further. But they constrained him, saying, Abide with us, for it is toward evening. A day is far spent, and he went and tarried with them. It came to pass as he sat down to eat meat with them. He took the bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to them. And then their eyes were open and they knew him and he vanished out of their sight. And they said one to another, did not our heart burn within us while he talked with us in the way 
Why open to us the scriptures? You know, these guys, in, in the beginning, it mentions here, they were dull. When it came to what they, they saw and heard, it says, it says in verse 25, Jesus said, Oh, fools and slow of heart to believe all the prophets have spoken. One of the tools of the devils is to get us dull and dead, apathetic, lethargic when it comes to the things of the Lord. Going through the motions, Sunday morning, Sunday night, da-da-da, going down the road, then this, then that, and then down to the next thing. Let's turn to 1 Peter chapter 5. We need to resist these devices the devil uses against us. That of doubt, that of double-mindedness, and that of dullness. These are three, I, I believe, of his favorite tools to distract and detract Christians from doing the will of God. Second Peter, uh, sorry, First Peter chapter 5, verse number 9. Whom resist steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. Verse 8. Be ye sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil as a roaring eye seeketh whom he may devour. You know, for the Christian, he can sidetrack you, but for, the, for, uh, for those that are lost, he can come along and destroy and devour their lives. He's a murderer from the beginning. He's a liar, and he bites not in the truth. And so let's close as we consider these thoughts here today. And uh, let me encourage you again to, to uh, recognize these devices he might be using against you or me and uh, cast them down from our minds and not believe them. All right, let's go ahead and we'll close here in prayer.